Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Five. There is still a real disdain across the British political and particularly media establishment for those of us who had the courage of our convictions. I think it's apartheid. Discrimination against British youngsters is now so routine. It is an absolute scandal. Surely if they've turned it that way themselves, they know it's a secret, because why are they viewing it as being out? If you've been keeping it a secret. The pace that we're going at now, again, I think undermines that basic characteristic of the UK. Welcome once again to Planet Normal, the Telegraph podcast with Alison Pearson. Hello. And me, Liam Halligan. British university degrees, top colleges, world-class education and historic surroundings. All major credit cards accepted. Please send large check to the Vice-Chancellor. These were the opening lines of your column in Wednesday's Telegraph, Alison. There's a link to the online version in the show notes to this episode. And it's become clear, as we've discussed on Planet Normal many times over the years, that UK home students aren't being discriminated against when it comes to winning places at some of our top universities, with foreign students charged higher fees, of course, being granted admission with sometimes much lower grades than their British counterparts. It's an absolute scandal that's made your blood boil. Aside from that, Tuesday marked four years since the UK-EU Brexit withdrawal agreement came into force. How has Britain fared outside of the European Union? And the Office for National Statistics has released figures suggesting the UK population is set to increase from around 67.5 million to 70 million by 2026, 11 years earlier than expected, and then almost 74 million by 2036. (laughs) We better get building some houses fast, Alison, with the UK population set to rise so fast. There's a lot going on. The Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee is meeting on Thursday, the day Planet Normals released. And in Northern Ireland, of course, the Stormont Assembly is up and running, with Sinn Féin's Michelle O'Neill set to become the first Irish Republican leader at Stormont. But before all that, and before we get stuck into that university story in particular, tell us about Diddy the Cat, the new love in your life, your little Turkish bundle of joy. You're just provoking me, aren't you? I'm asking innocently. (laughs) My tone could not have been more warm. Conciliatory. The imported uh, Turkish street cat, <laughs> street cat was picked up on Saturday as arranged under cover of darkness at Harwich Port. And if you listen carefully, co-pilot, you can hear the bell ringing on the collar that Didi has put around my neck. Because... <laughs> or you've put around Didi's neck. No, it, it's very much <laughs> the other way around. I think we've swiftly established who's in charge. You know what? It's... It has been madness, and I hold my hands up and say it's not really justifiable. But what a joy it is to have new life in the house. And yesterday evening, we had the first tense meeting at Checkpoint Charlie between Bingo, the dog, 
and Didi the cat. <laughs> and Bingo basically prostrated himself before the cat. He lay down like Sir Walter Raleigh extending his oh, cape over the puddle, over the puddle yeah. to the Queen. So I think Didi now is established as the reigning monarch at uh, Pearson Towers and we are all her humble servants. But I mean, I've had so many lovely emails from people mm. and animals bring a kind of sweetness and innocence into the world, Liam, which I think people really appreciate at a time when it feels like we're going to hell in a handcart. And that, of course, brings us on, doesn't it, to this university story. I expect listeners probably picked it up either in the Sunday Times or, or elsewhere. The Sunday Times Insight team, famously founded, of course, by the late lamented Harold Evans, they've done a big expose over the weekend about how international students can buy their way into prestigious British Russell Group degree courses. And there was an undercover reporter who had a chat with a recruitment officer for the Russell Group Universities. And this guy was boasting that so-called foundation course pathways to undergraduate courses were much easier than the routes for British applicants because overseas applicants pay a premium, as you said, Liam. And they so they give leeway for international students. And this recruitment officer said, it's not something they want to talk about but it's the truth. And I think we know why they don't want to talk about it, because when you look at some of the comparisons that this guy was giving to study economics, Liam's own subject, overseas students needed CCC at Bristol, CCD at Durham, DDE, Exeter, and a, and a wonderfully unchallenging D at Leeds University. And by contrast, the A-level grades required from UK applicants were all A-star AA, of course. And even if they achieve those excellent grades, the British applicants are being regularly squeezed out by someone who can pay more or even doesn't speak English in the home, Liam. That's a really good thing to get. If um, I suggest to listeners who've got teenagers who need to get into university, that maybe if they start speaking a foreign language in the home, that'll give them a big leg up. But just to say that a beloved Planet Normal regular did tell us about his daughter, Rosie. She was just rejected by Oxbridge, the most stellar girl in every respect. I met her and she struck me as being like one of those amazing women who worked at Bletchley Park during the war, already working on advanced code breaking, exactly the kind of sparky person that you would think Oxford and Cambridge would snap up, predicted for a stars. But unfortunately, Liam, Rosie is white, middle class, and goes to an excellent private school. Although, and this is this is an irony to savour for listeners, the Chinese kids at Rosie's excellent private school, they can apply to Russell Group Universities as international students, and they won't be discriminated against because they are paying more. And also they tick a diversity box. So basically what we're talking about here, Liam, is I think it's apartheid. Discrimination against British youngsters is now so routine. It is an absolute scandal. So you've got often middle-class families scrimping and saving yeah. to send their kids to yeah. an independent school. And then you'll have often extremely wealthy kids at the same schools from overseas. And it's the extremely wealthy kids who get the place, yes. uh, a complete inversion of any form of social mobility, let alone really natural justice, because at the very least, those kids should be competing on a level 
playing field since i mean it's great you mentioned the sunday times i think that's we should mention the sunday times they're often obviously our huge rival but good journalism is good journalism i do think this is good journalism i would say that you and i have been discussing this and been sneered at for literally two or three years since Mm -hmm. the beginning of planet normal we've been discussing this and you know various academic friends have literally looked down their nose at me why are you saying this it's not true and and now sunday times bank to write still various uk universities are, are denying it well yes. they, you know if it's not true sue the sunday times that's what i say and we'll see and of course they won't because the sunday times has got it bang on it really is a difficult story to get your head round and it's really eroding i think the contract between some of our young people and the state and their country, you know, young people who work their socks off to get to top universities, they know in their bones that they're being discriminated against if they have certain characteristics. Young people who maybe aren't university material, but want to work hard, get on, have a family, land good jobs and do their best, can't buy a house can't even you know rent a house have to live with their parents mm. if the uk can't provide these basic steps these basic rungs on the ladder these basic building blocks of a coherent society then that will really undermine that society and the attitude of our young people not just their economic you know, efficiency not just productivity not just a society isn't just an economy though the economy is the engine room i would say of a good society prosperity and wealth reasonably well spread. But they, they they won't want to be part of this country. They will emigrate. They won't want to sign up for our, you know, armed services. They won't want mm. to serve as politicians. Or maybe they will for very radical parties. That that's the danger here. That these big things that we're getting wrong on housing, on life chances, on education, will turn our society, a moderate society, famously, a society where politics thankfully, has been centrist over the years and stable over the years. It will make us a more radical and a more dangerous place. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's perfect what you've said about eroding the social contract because I've had a huge number of emails. I just want to read this little bit out from Sasha responding to my article on universities preferring high-paying, low-quality international candidates to British kids. And Sasha says, it completely reflects the situation of my upper sixth son and his friends. We made the mistake of going private to a school where Will's cohort scored in the top 10 of GCSE results for the entire country. Yet, says Sasha, out of 12 boys applying for history at Oxbridge, only one got an offer. These are all boys with 10, 11, 12, nines at GCSE, all with three A stars at least predicted. Now, some of them have got offers from Exeter, Leeds, etc. all very high offers, but most are waiting on offers from Durham and Edinburgh. But, says Sasha, they aren't optimistic and expected to get A star, A star, A offers minimum. That's incredibly high. How can you not be optimistic, says this mother, when you have such great grades? It does make the boys wonder why they bothered working so hard. And this is the kicker, Liam. These are the same boys who now read that they are expected to train up and head into battle to save our own politicians from their incompetence. Ironically, the same boys they are excluding from our best universities who have done their CCF, 
That's the core. The combined cadet force. Combined cadet force. Sort of training ground for the armed Prime services. Prime material for the armed services. Yeah, yeah. She says, it's fascinating to hear my son and his mates talk about conscription. An absolute no-no as far as they're concerned. Why would they bother to fight for a country that doesn't support them, doesn't even appear to like them? It's interesting, isn't it? And as you, the point you make is that quite a lot of our universities, they can be seen as places where a lot of immigration happens under the guise of uh, of students and students, of course, bringing in dependents and so on. Yeah. And that brings us on to something that I know you spotted and wanted to discuss. The Office for National Statistics, as I said in the introduction, has changed its estimates, partly because of net migration. The UK population is now set to go up much, much more quickly than we previously thought, from 67-odd million to over 70 million Mm. by 2026 and almost 74 million by 2036. You know, I immediately think, you know, back in the day, immigration was almost universally seen as a great thing when it was at a certain pace, more workers, a lot of vibrancy, a lot of culture. Mm. But the pace it's going now, it means a lot of the population, again, our, our broadly speaking, moderate, welcoming population is going to think, blimey, GP surgeries, hospital places. Can my kid buy a house? Can my kid get social housing if you're from a vulnerable household or lower down the income scale? Again, this will tear at the social fabric and it undermines and threatens what has been for many years and decades in this country, a general view that we're welcoming towards immigrants. We give them a fair crack of the whip. They want to work hard, pay their way, raise a family. You know, the vast majority of British people would say, you know, stroll on. Brilliant. Good for you. We're glad to have you. But the pace that we're going at now, again, I think undermines that basic characteristic of the UK. Yes, Liam. So 92% of that rise of 6.5 million people will be due to immigration. So it's a tiny percentage of the increase in population will come from people here having children. So we are talking about a vast change in the social mix. And I think that we are talking about now huge issues about how you create a united country, as you say, how you're deepening the housing crisis. What signs are there that the government are planning on improving the infrastructure to cope with an influx, which according to Alp Mehmet, our Planet Normal friend, chairman of Migration Watch UK, Alp says this population increase is equivalent to five cities the size of Birmingham in just 15 years. Now, coming back, just referring back to the university situation, we know that until recently, when the government was called out on this appallingly embarrassing net immigration figures for the previous, for last year, 745,000 people, only now are they closing the gate on the fact that students, foreign students coming here, could bring up to four relatives with them and continue to stay on after they had completed their courses. Now, in the United States, if one of our kids was to go and study in the States, A, they would be expected to pay for their keep. They would be completely self-supporting, no idea about being given handouts, and they certainly would not be entitled to stay on to work 
So we've had this staggering, truly staggering, I'm going to say appalling, appalling, unmanageable, unsustainable increase in immigration, which is our country is already, as we know, really struggling to gain, the people here already struggling to gain access to public services. And, and the Tory government have, as we have often said, Liam, utterly betrayed conservative voters. They have promised, promised again and again and again, manifesto after manifesto, to bring down net immigration. And James Cleverly, the Home Secretary, is now promising to reduce the last year's immigration figures by closing some of these routes of encouraging low-achieving, high-paying foreign students, closing some of those routes, cutting uh, that immigration figure by 300,000. You're better at maths than I am, Liam, but that still leaves 450,000 <laughs> coming in, which is at least double, if not triple, what we were told by David Cameron's administration was what it was going to go down to. I mean, I'm incredibly worried and upset about this because I think this is now a clear and present danger to the harmony of our country and to the ability of our you know, ordinary British families to provide, to, to enjoy a, a good standard of living and harmonious community relations. So back in 2019, the Tory manifesto pledged to bring down the overall rate of net migration. Then it was 226,000 a year. In 2022, the last full year for which numbers are available, it wasn't less than 226,000. It was 745,000. That's net migration in a single year. So, of course, the actual number of immigrants is much higher, but then you have to subtract people moving to Spain and so on. But net migration of 745,000, Alison, in a year, that's the population of Leeds. Yeah which is, you know, depending on your definition of fifth, sixth, seventh, you know, a seventh biggest city, a major urban conurbation. Mm. So I do think this is a problem. I do think the government has to seriously get its arms around it. It's not just the UK. This is happening across the Western world. And it's ironic, isn't it? The day we're recording, Wednesday, the 31st of January, it is four years on from the Brexit withdrawal agreement. It is. And while lots of people voted for Brexit for lots of different reasons... Some people voted for Brexit specifically because of free movement from the European Union. They wanted more control of our borders and the implementation of Brexit or the partial implementation of Brexit has coincided with a big increase in our net immigration. And I just wanted to say a a few things about Brexit. I don't think it's true. I mean, I think in general, broadcasters in particular have a huge downer on the British economy. They constantly diss the British economy, even though the British economy often does quite well and is quite resilient. But if you add up all the GDP growth since 2016, since the referendum, we are in the middle of the pack. Italy's grown by about six and a half, seven percent since 2016 to 2022. France and Germany by about eight percent, the UK by nine percent and the US by 14%, of course, America benefiting from much, much cheaper energy. UK exports to the EU, far from going absolutely to zero, as one Anna Subri said that they would in 2016, they're actually at a record high, £340 billion of exports to the EU in 2022, up from under £300 billion in 2019. Foreign direct investments held up. Unemployment has actually fallen since 2016. Again, 
There are lots and lots of issues here. There are lots of things that we could do with our Brexit freedoms that we are absolutely not doing. But I don't accept that it's been some unmitigated economic disaster because it absolutely hasn't been. Now, for some firms exporting to the EU, certain sectors, it has been difficult. There is too much administrative nonsense going on, potentially on both sides. The bigger companies can navigate that kind of bureaucracy more easily. So I'm not saying that there aren't any problems at all. I'm absolutely not. And of course, Northern Ireland, we can come on to that briefly because this is an important week for Northern Ireland too. But I say again, this is by no means an unmitigated economic disaster. And there have actually been economic upsides, not least some of the trade deals that we've signed. You know the other upside, of course. Sovereignty? (laughs) (laughs) No, the biggest upside was us getting... I was going to say trashed, but that's a rude word. Uh, co-pilot Halligan and I being, at a, can you imagine, a celebratory Brexit dinner as if barely go to a Nando's now, would you? <laughs> a few chicken pieces. Anyway, we, we were at quite a fancy Brexit dinner in January 2020, and we piled into a cab, you and you I. You followed didn't... me into a cab. <laughs> <laughs> I think I fell, fell yeah. into the cab. And on the way home, I wasn't really listening to you as the pattern continued for four years. But, you, <laughs> you know, when you delivered the famous words, we should do a podcast, and I delivered the equally famous words. I don't know what that is. <laughs> What's a podcast? And now I am one. <clears throat> and you now know, I am one. As you followed it up six months later. It did come out of that. And I think it came out of, because, you know, I, I've said this before, I've got plenty of Probably the majority of my friends voted Remain, actually. Yeah, majority of my friends voted Remain, including some of the most important people in my life who I love the most dearly voted Remain. Yeah, and in fact, I mean, I completely understand that, but you and I are a bit arsy, aren't we? This is partly why we're we're planet normal, I think. I think we kind of intuited we were fed up of these elites bossing us around. And then, of course, subsequently, a few weeks after we started up, they started really bossing us around with COVID and lockdown. And now they're bossing us around with net zero and another disaster coming down the road, actually seeing some really interesting footage from France this week, Liam, with the farmers. You don't want to mess with those French farmers. So that's, I think that that gut instinct we had, that the ordinary, so-called ordinary person wasn't being heard was part of what motivated us to fly to planet normal. Rather than the phrase bossed around, I'd say led. I don't mind being led. You know, we need leadership desperately, Mm -hmm. but don't expect me to just sit there mute. You know, I think good journalism isn't about being judgmental. Good journalism is above all about being curious. Yes. And I became really curious about customs unions, how they work, the deal that they meant were giving ordinary British shoppers, which was a really bad deal. I became really curious about how the EU was perceived across the rest of the world, not least in the poorer countries of the world where it was seen as a closed shop. uh, And that was leading to extremism and anti-Western sentiment. I became extremely curious about how qualified majority voting works in the European Union, diluting the influence of democratically elected governments. And I became really curious about the European Commission itself, where you know the, the accounts have been qualified by the auditors for years and years because there's so much money unaccounted for, money that has been earned by taxpayers, not just in the UK when we were members, but right across Western Europe. So for all those reasons, I didn't want to just accept 
you know, the nice bien pensant view that you're a good person if you want to stay inside the European Union. And it's cost me enormously. It's cost me enormously to have, on balance, voted for Brexit. There is still a real disdain across the British political and particularly media establishment for those of us who had the courage of our convictions, even though we were backed by the majority of those who voted. So what really swung me, because I wasn't entirely decided on voting leave. Me neither. I went to the Houses of Parliament and in a committee room, there was a, a very, very eloquent young African woman who stood up and she spoke about the effect that the EU had had on her country's ability to trade. Yeah. And I was really shocked. She said, we've got subsistence farmers who, if we had more access to these markets, wouldn't need handouts. They wouldn't need so much aid. Yeah. We could actually hold our heads high. Yeah, build a society. And yeah. trade in the yeah. world. And that yeah. really moved me, Liam. I thought, right, okay, this is what they're doing. It's a closed shop. These Europeans with their smug, bien ponson, we give international aid. How about letting people like that young woman? How about buying their goods? How about buying their goods? Yeah. How about yeah. letting them sell their coffee beans and so yeah. on into your Selling smug? their coffee beans processed. selling their chocolate process so they can add value to their economy rather than banning the imports of the processed food and only taking the imports of the basic raw material. I had a very similar experience. I've told you about this, but in the early 90s, I I did a sort of solo motorcycle tour completely off the top of my head, no organisation at all. But I I basically motorcycled around West Africa because, again, I was a really curious young person. I was 20 years old and I was reading in my economics textbooks about what a great job the World Bank was doing in all these countries. So I went to see for myself and I ended up talking to lots of local people, particularly in the Francophone countries, but also in the English-speaking countries in West Africa and lots of farmers about the EU. And that planted a seed, no pun intended, about the implications of the common agricultural policy on ordinary people far, far, far poorer than us, literally on the margins of human existence, you know, on the poverty line, the serious poverty line. And we weren't doing them any favours. We've never discussed this, but it's interesting that both you and I had that kind of view based on the plight of people in countries much poorer than ourselves. So actually that impulse, the thing we were responding to, is not a thing of the far right, is it? It should be a thing of the left, shouldn't it? International socialism is where that heartbeat comes from. So how strange that we were damned as being xenophobic. We were actually thinking not just about our own country and the ability of our own communities to thrive with our young being able to get jobs and so on, but we were also thinking about the international implications of a closed shop EU throwing its weight around. Indeed. We must mention briefly Northern Ireland because, you know, we do have many listeners in Northern Ireland and we're very glad that they join us here on Planet Normal. It is, of course, an important part of the UK and we have the news that the Northern Ireland Assembly is, has been restarted. It's about to be restarted. Yeah. Geoffrey Donaldson, the leader of the Democratic Unionist Party, has sort of climbed down, if you like. He's allowing the Assembly to reassemble. And that means, of course, because Sinn Féin won the May 22 Northern Ireland Assembly elections, a 47-year-old mum of two, Michelle O'Neill, born in Cork in the Irish Republic, her family hails from Tyrone, a family with a strong association, it must be said, with the IRA back in the day, though she has 
not had that association, it must be said. She's been Deputy First Minister. Yeah. She now becomes the first ever Irish Republican with Sinn Féin, as I said, to become First Minister. And just look at the Northern Ireland Assembly since 98, since it was formed with the Good Friday Agreement. It was suspended between 2002 and 2007. It was suspended again between 2017 and 2020. It's been suspended since May 2022. The people of Northern Ireland, Protestant, Catholic, whatever their political ideologies or none, which, whichever community they come from, they have not been well served by their leaders. Let's hope that Northern Ireland can now start to govern itself in an effective way, getting those public services moving, providing a better life, because there's a lot of good that's going on in Northern Ireland. There's a lot of interesting economic stuff going on. There's a developing tech scene going on. It is a much better place to be than it was during the Troubles, absolutely and without doubt. Let's hope now, fingers and toes crossed, that Northern Ireland can have a functioning assembly led, as I said, by Sinn Féin, a massively historic moment for that part of the UK. And let's hope also that some kind of political relationship, if not harmony, can be re-established between the political parties, which of course will continue to contest and compete as they must, but let's hope that they compete and contest with rhetoric and argument rather than anything else. Hi, I'm Katie Morley. I'm The Telegraph's consumer champion and I'm here with a new way to help you be better off. It's called Telegraph Money and from pensions to property, tax and investing, it puts all of our expert opinions right where it belongs at your fingertips. You'll also find a range of useful tools and calculators to help you understand what today's news means for you and plan for tomorrow with confidence. Search Telegraph Money today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now it's time for our Planet Normal interview. I've got an unbelievable story for you, co-pilot. I heard from parents, let's call them Amy and James. They told me that their daughter was part of a friendship group of girls at a Church of England primary school. We're not going to name, uh, we're not going to name the school or the, or the children for obvious reasons. Amy and James's daughter and her friends were four years old 
when they first met in reception class in 2020. A year or so ago, the girls started to say to their mums and dads about another of the girls in the group, we standing up. It's got a willy. It's got a dark secret. It's a boy. So it emerged slowly that this girl was actually a quote unquote trans child, physically a boy, and started to get quite aggressive, hurting, punching, pinching, bullying the little girls in the group. But when the bullying was reported to the school, to the head, to the governor in charge of safeguarding, indeed, parents were warned that outing the trans child was wrong, was against school policy and national guidance, didn't matter what the impact was on the little girls. Now, Amy and James told me they felt the school and the diocese gaslit them into feeling it was them who weren't Christian in their ethos or attitude towards inclusivity, which had left their daughter and the other little girls excluded. So with this quite astonishing tale in mind, I began by asking Amy and James about what had been their initial feelings about the primary school. It was absolutely brilliant. It was Ofsted outstanding. Yeah. So we, that one thing about moving was finding the right school. So when did you first know that the boy who was presenting as a girl would be coming in? In the beginning of September 2020, oh. which was as they were coming into the, to the year group. And this child had been, who we'll call child X, this child had been in the preschool. Yes, but not all the parents or children who were in reception had been yeah. in the preschool. And also with COVID, so yeah. they had it closed and then they reopened yeah. partially for those couple of months before the summer holidays to get ready to go into reception. So of course they were split from, what, 15 children probably normally playing into little groups of, I think it was three or four. Yeah, so of course <clears throat> all of these children... Some of them hadn't seen him for eight months. No one was told. No parents, no children. I know members of staff at the school that are still there now that found out through the child's brother. Like the kitchen staff weren't told. Yeah. What if something happened and he spilt? I don't know, say his spaghetti, boiling hot spaghetti over his front and they had to strip him off. Yeah. Just yeah. And then you should have to This is a surprise for the poor little school cook. Yes. And there's still some parents in that class that don't know. And that I find very unfair. And does child X look as a, as a girl? Would you, if you saw them, would you think that's a girl? Yes, before the last six months, we yeah. testosterone has really entered the system. Yes, you could, you could say there was feminine mm. features, but... Long curly hair. Now the height has really get yes. off. I mean, at least <clears throat> half a foot taller. Clearly towers. towers the glass. When did it start to manifest itself in behavioural changes with the girls? You, you too. And that's when the finger twisting starts. Right. And the, the dragging people away from their friends so they can't play together. So using physical strength. And obviously at this point, she's now starting to take over. And it was like... Falling silent. So she'd come home. We wouldn't, wasn't allowed to talk in the car. Not allowed to have the radio on. Yeah. We'd get home. And, oh no, no, no. Don't she'd shout at you. Don't just want peace. And she'd just look out the window. Like even Alexa right at home. She's like, it's too noisy. And then she'd hide under the dining room table. But she'd be there for two, three hours. But it got to the point where that childminder would pick her up from school and I'd get there and I'd find her under the dining room table. As you say, it's completely weird, isn't it? Because there's this clear, very clear thing that's that's a huge issue. 
No. You know, elephant in the room. Right in the room. Right. Big elephant. But the head teachers of the school told me it's no secret. Right, but that's what I'm interested in. Did you have that conversation by email? One person. Yeah, being me and my mum, and they said, it is no secret. And I said, but the parents don't know. Oh, but the parents know from preschool. But there's children in that class that didn't even go to preschool. They came from even outside the county. How would they ever know that a child in their child's class was of the opposite sex? So when you had this meeting with them, how were they? Were they defensive? Very defensive. They reckoned that actually talking with the transgender child with the rest of the class to explain, you know, because he's starting to mentally affect children. They went, oh, well, we can't out the child. I'm not saying out the child. I'm saying include the child in including their friends. Surely if they've termed it that way themselves, they know it's a secret because why are they viewing it as being out? Out it. It would only be out out if you've been keeping it a secret. This comes back to that Church of England advice. The danger of outing child X is regarded as more serious. Yeah, doesn't trump my child's problems at the moment, to be honest with you. So just tell me more. See, these were the two joint heads. What did you say? What was your complaint? That it's ridiculous that they're hiding the fact for the entire year group that one of them is actually the opposite sex. Because they can't understand it. That and the fact that they haven't done nothing about bullying. They told me, regardless of their gender status or gender identity or anything to do with protected characteristics, bullying is bullying. Now let's come up to date. So on the 12th came home from school and we knew she had a play date on the Friday and we like since the friendship issues we like to sit down with her and just make sure everything's all right once a week so we sat down and she started with her usual well it's friendship groups and she just she said that she was getting worried because keeps being physically mean to them twisting her fingers grabbing her by the arm in the lunch queue to yank her car just generally being very controlling And she said, I don't get why she's being like this. And she said, but told me a secret in year one. And it's the only thing that makes sense as to what could be wrong with her. And I said, well, what is it? And she said that she's actually a boy. Is that true? And I said, yes, it is. And she just sat there in silence. And I let her. And then I said, how do you feel? And she just said, I feel uncomfortable. And that's when she started talking about how, you know, mummy, I only like to hold daddy's hand that's a boy. You know, she goes, I don't want to hold hands with boys. And I was only holding her hand because I thought she was a girl. They said, I understand why you feel so uncomfortable. Mm. And it's okay to feel that way. She was concerned that she was going to keep lying about being a girl when she was a boy. And then she had that trigger thought of, well, mummy, do the teachers know she's lying? Or are the teachers lying to us that she's a girl? And then I thought about it, I thought, actually, not all the teachers probably do know. So I can't even say that to her. Bless her life, she spoke to me. With us she as well, spoke, and, she, yeah. and she called her, and she said, but you're teaching us that lying is sin. sin. It's not magic. They are actually lying about being a girl. She goes, yes, has a penis and testicles, but on the inside, and her family truly believe she's supposed to be a girl, so they don't see it as lying. <laughs> Look to her, and it's just like, she's a boy. How did you notify the school that you were taking her out? Or did, who did you say? I emailed with them previously and said, Look, this issue needs sorting, and I know it's a complicated one and it's going to take time, but you're giving me nothing to go off. I get no updates. I had nothing for days. But every day I was dragging my kid in, crying. She kept saying her tummy hurt, and she was like, it feels like something's in there. We realised she's experiencing butterflies because of anxiety. So they signed a document in September 2023, which was the child protection policy for the school. Being a pastoral school, part of the child protection policy is the bullying 
guideline policy. And the bullying policy it states that any child being bullied, which has raised the school, will be offered continuous pastoral support. But there is no pastoral support it because there's no figure. They now don't uh, investigate any historic yeah. events it's, over three months. But that's just conveniently timed this is itself. A school. I, I worry that something has happened and they're not telling us. What happened around September serious when they changed their policy? Yes. That's two years in of transgender mm, jobs coming me. in. Gender dysmorphia, body dysmorphia yeah. exists. They, you know, they go through counselling. They and they do say the majority of them grow out of it when they hit puberty. I don't think trans children should be allowed. They can't make that decision for themselves. Do you think they know now, the school, that people are kicking up? Yeah, they've had several complaints. I told a parent, and I did put in it, I was told it wasn't secret. She was completely curious. She'd had this kid for a play date, and she'd walked up to her in the kitchen and went, I used to be a and walked off. She said, I feel so naive now. Those are teachers. They shouldn't be allowed to teach. No. Not after this. Not after this. Not after this. You've yeah, put so many worry. children's lives at risk. You're talking about mental health. Getting, how many more do you miss? How many more? How many more years do you have to go through while you miss and stealing the children? Look over their innocence and steal their innocence. Yeah. She's, she's still happy school. with high school. The idea of high school. What happens if she gets to high school and there's trans and she triggers? That could be a lifelong mental health issue. Crikey, Alison! What an astonishing story. Well done to the parents for speaking out. We've obviously rightly disguise their voices for good reasons. But it's just a mess. This whole area of public policy is a mess. Well, as Amy said to me, by the way, I just want to credit our education editor, Louisa Clarence Smith, who did great work based on my interview with the parents getting statements out of Ofsted and Department of Education and so on. So Amy said she doesn't believe there is such a thing as trans children. I mean, this this child we're calling Bobby was a boy in preschool and then turned up in reception. And as Amy said, when you're four years old, Liam, we, we, our children are older now, but we can all, my, my friend's little boy who's three and a half, not only does he think he's a dinosaur, every morning he says, mummy, be a stegosaurus. So that gives us some idea of the small child's concept, the idea that they could understand what sex they were And indeed, many of us feel they shouldn't even be exposed to any of that sort of stuff. But I just want to throw back at you, this is interesting. So this is a Church of England primary school where you might hope certain values were upheld. And the Church of England guidance says the protected characteristic of gender reassignment only works one way. Not being transgender is not a protected characteristic. Consequently, schools can make adjustments to meet the needs of a trans pupil without being accused of discriminating against non-trans pupils. That is Orwellian doublespeak, right? Absolutely. That's just mad. Where does this end, Alison? Where does this end? Well, it ends with good people like Amy and James and the other parents who think there's something slightly amiss when their little girls come home and say that a girl in their year has got a willy. It ends with them being told to shut up because you're not allowed to out because outing that child is considered to be worse than protecting those little girls from these matters, which they shouldn't even be having to consider at such a young age. But I did manage to speak, Liam, to a senior Ofsted person off the record. And this person said, alas, most teachers think that it is kind 
and necessary to respect children's identities, quote unquote, and they don't accept there's any collateral damage. And the progressive activists in a school, they always shut down the other, more moderate people. They are the people who are most determined to display and promote their political views at work. And this is very key, Liam. The whole Equality Act needs revising in light of all the messes it creates. Nobody was ever willing to acknowledge that different protected rights were bound to clash with each other. I'm just going to pick up on the language a little bit there. I don't think that most teachers buy into all this stuff. I think most teachers like you and I think it's mad, but they're bullied in their staff rooms by activists for whom this is their whole life rather than teaching kids. They're activist teachers who are in teaching because they've convinced themselves that they're going to change society. They may have come into teaching for all the right reasons, but they seem to have had a change of tune. And it must be awful to be a teacher watching this happening in a school that you love, where you go every day, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, wanting to do your best for, for yeah. the children, for the next generation. I, it, it moves me just talking about it, yeah. what teachers actually do. When I think of the teachers that I've had in my life who've changed my life, it's such a noble calling. It's such a wonderful thing to do with your life, to be a teacher. And yet the grief that teachers have to put up with these days, with these loonies in their midst who have infiltrated the teaching unions and indeed the civil service, many of our institutions... Our political leaders have to get hold of this in the way that you have, in the way that one or two other brave journalists have. Because, of course, you'll be reprimanded for talking about this. I'll be reprimanded for responding warmly to your excellent journalism in this area in the way that I have. But when does this madness end? When brave people stand up and say stop, and you've stood up now and said stop, and the brave parents who we've named Amy and James have stood up and said stop but what motivates the parent of the child that we're speaking about to allow them to turn up at school in some kind of trans guide the kid won't even understand who father christmas is let alone have grown out of believing in father christmas and yet apparently the kid has the intellectual and emotional autonomy enough to say in all my two and a half years of being on the face of the earth most of it I couldn't even understand language. I've decided that I'm not happy in my own birth sex and I want to change. Insane. You're absolutely right. And I I share your anger, Liam, because not only thinking about the little girls. Oh, I'm thinking about the child, him or herself. I don't even know how to describe the child. The poor thing. Poor thing. The poor thing, like a little, you know, totemic ideological toy. Yes. I think listening to... The testimony from the parents, they were at great pains to say they were in no way transphobic. Amy and James, they had had Bobby over to their house for many play dates with their little girl. They were very accepting. But what is the mental toll on a a now seven-year-old boy of having to pretend every day to be a girl and pass as a girl in a classroom? It's just, to me, it's child abuse. It's absolutely astonishing. And can I just say, Liam, make a very important point, because listeners may have missed this this week. Keir Starmer gave a speech at some LGBT event in which he said, when Labour comes to power, they will 
bring in a ban on conversion therapy. Now, this is a little bit, a tiny bit complicated. So obviously, if you've got a child who thinks they're gay, we don't want any conversion therapy. We don't want people, as we've seen in the United States, where you have Christian organizations trying to, you know, purge the child of those evil thoughts about their sexuality. But trans conversion therapy is a whole other issue. Because essentially, if a Labour government bans trans conversion therapy, what that means is that parents and therapists cannot talk to the child about their feelings, which may well be confused. You will not be allowed to say, this may just be a phase, darling. Let's just see how it goes. And then we'll decide a bit later on if you're going to embark on any of these body changing, huge, you know, huge decisions. Irreversible. Irreversible to go on puberty blockers. And then we know about horrible things like breast binding and, and mastectomies. mastectomies. I mean, Crikey. just absolutely as a mother of a daughter where we're both parents of daughters. It, Don't. It, no, it just makes you absolutely horrified. But the situation here, you know, if we have a Labour government, which is wholly in hoc to uh, some of the people you described so well, these ideologues who've infiltrated our schools. And remember, Liam, that at this primary school, Church of England Primary School, when the little girl said to her teacher, you told us lying was sinful in assembly, but you've been lying to us about Bobby being a girl. And the teacher replied, yes, Bobby has a penis and testicles, but on the inside, Bobby and her family truly believe she's supposed to be a girl, so they don't see it as lying. And age seven, looked at the teacher and said, but she's a boy. Now we're having more sense from a seven-year-old girl than we are from the Church of England, from the safeguarding advisors. The parents, Amy and James, are calling for an urgent offset inspection of the school in question. And we do really, we've had a very strong statement on this from Kemi Badenoch, who has been absolutely stalwart and, uh, you know, very strong. Equalities Minister as well as Business Secretary. And she has been one of the, with Miriam Cates, and Rosie Duffield, Labour's fantastic MP, Rosie Duffield. So we have got strong people speaking out on this thing. And I just want to predict now, Liam, I just want to say in 20 years' time, even before that, this will be like the post office scandal. This will be thousands of children, then young adults, who will be suing schools and the British government for allowing them to disfigure themselves. Now on to our listener emails, your messages sent to planetnormal at telegraph.co.uk. Please keep them coming. We love to read your thoughts. So we've had a a huge response to my article about uh, universities selling places to foreign students. Dee says, my husband works at a leading medical school. Last year, 25% of first year undergraduates failed their exams, an unheard of proportion. The result of skewed entry criteria granting sought-after places to students who ultimately turned out to be insufficiently able. The international students are not allowed to be rejected as they pay for their course. Instead, they are allowed to resit and resit, and if they fail, they go into special measures, meaning extra work for staff who have to cram their knowledge into them so that they eventually pass. And this is from Kit. 
I cancelled annual donations and a very large legacy to my Cambridge college last year. That was after they gave a very derisory response to my suggestion that Jordan Peterson should be appointed the new master. Excellent kit. And McCallum finally says, my son's school this year got 30 offers from Oxbridge, but not one for science subjects or medicine, even though it's a science-based school. My son, who is right at the top in his school, didn't even get an interview because he wanted to study science. Foreign students are getting in with significantly less ability than many British students who are being rejected. And it's a disgrace. It certainly is. This is from Angela. Dear Liam and Alison, my dear dad passed away a year ago and it was certainly the saddest day of my life. But I just had to write in and tell you that Liam's story about his dad being a plumber and not having central heating at home really warmed my heart and brought a tear of joy to my eyes. My dad was a plumber and then plumbing estimator all his life and during the recession of the 90s had to diversify into becoming a heating engineer to get a job. However, we too didn't have central heating. We lived in a small bungalow which had been extended into the loft and it was flipping freezing, says Angela. My mum used to put the oven on to warm up the kitchen. We had a small gas fire in the lounge, which me and my brother used to huddle around. And if you wanted to go to your bedroom, you had to put a fan heater on in the room 30 minutes beforehand to make it bearable. We had a strange alien contraption, which my parents fondly called Fred in the bed, which was basically a metal dish with a light bulb in it that would heat up the bed. My loft room was freezing in the winter and sweltering hot in the summer. They bought the house in 1964 and didn't get central heating put in until after I left home in the early 2000s. God, I identify with that. (laughs) I wish I could say it toughened me up, but I felt cold then and I still feel it now. However, we didn't know any difference and it sure makes me appreciate my own central heating. I absolutely love your podcast and during lockdown, I looked forward to your views every week. You were brave enough to talk sense when everyone else seemed to be losing their grip on reality. I lost two precious years of spending quality time with my dad who suffered with Parkinson's and it broke my heart. My hope is that the government never do anything like that to us again. With thanks to you for bringing back those fond memories of Dad, that's Angela. Oh, what a lovely email. Brilliant. We need to hear from the children of more plumbers. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole new podcast there. The freezing offspring of plumbers. <laughs> this is from John. Thank you for keeping us sane these last few years. The sheer magic of the Liam Allison voices each week brings joy into our lives. That's lovely to hear, John. And I worked in the TV industry for 50 years and wrote a book to go with it. Two documentaries I made on the miners' strike brought it home this weekend. This was actually, Liam, following the news that the Port Talbot Steelworks was going to take a lot of redundancies. The first documentary that John made was at Court and Wood. It was more about what we didn't see than the other bit. Filming wives picking up children from school, I asked the cameraman to shoot the ice cream van across the road. But there's no one there, the cameraman said. The children could no longer afford ice cream precisely. Then we were informed by the local vicar that the local butcher was making sausages from scrag ends affordable to the women locally. This is the problem with today's politicians. They do not understand, undoubtedly don't even comprehend, the backstories to the decisions they make. Port Albert will be yet another coming down that road. Then no steel, a wrecked community, but ministers bleating about the vain glories of net zero then the talk of war and realisation that we have no armament steel. As one who survived a bomb on my first day at school in October 1944, it seems very real, especially remembering the parents and families 
who died on that day. John, fantastic email, John. Thank you. And just finally, Alison, two which are really representative of a lot of the emails that we've received, not just in the last week, but for several months now. This is Nigel. As a lifelong real Conservative, I don't want Starmer, but I won't be voting for the traitors pretending to be Conservative either. And Peregrine, the last straw for me was Sunak bringing Cameron back. Having voted for the Conservatives for over 50 years, I no longer recognise any of the current lot as being deserving of my support. If I was 30 years younger, I'd be emigrating. And many of the bright, talented, younger British are now doing just that, quotes, and under a Conservative government. And that's it from Planet Normal for another week. Alison, as we leave our sanctuary of sweet reason, our flying refuge of reason views, email of the week, it's my turn. Well, it has to be Angela. Yes, it does. Angela, plumbers, <laughs> kids are us. It's a new political party. Still shivering, Angela. <laughs> Still shivering. Send us an email with mug winner in the subject heading and your postal address and a rare as rocking horse poo Planet Normal mug will be winging its way towards you. If you enjoy Planet Normal, please do leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. There are lots of great ones which you can browse and amuse yourself and it don't half cheer the co-pilot and me up. And as we speed away from our beloved Planet Normal and the madness of Planet Earth comes back into view, thanks as ever to our wonderful producers, Isabel Bajard, Cass Ho and Louisa Wells. Stay safe and in touch with us and with each other until next week. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.